0: Let's pray. Our Lord, speak to us now. Uh, Thank you for your love for us, your mercy at work in our lives, and um, bless us now uh, and encourage us. uh, Strengthen our faith. Fill us with hope, I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're doing the series uh, on the paradoxes of the Christian faith, and really what we're doing is working through most of the books of the Bible looking at some of the paradoxes that emerge uh, in that as we go. And today we're looking at this little book of um, Habakkuk. Or if you're a North American, Habakkuk. Or if you want to put the emphasis on the last syllable, you could do Habakkuk. Habakkuk. This is the paradox of Habakkuk. God is predictably unpredictable. Or the other way to put it is God is unpredictably predictable. Actually, the first way works better, which is another way of saying you can never really... The the one thing you can know for certain about God's action in the world is what? That you can't know for certain what God's action in the world is going to be. And that's an important truth to grapple with. And what we're going to do is we look at this little chapter from Habakkuk, is, uh, is, do, is allow this text to do in us what it was originally written to do for the Israelites who received this prophecy, which is to build a resilient faith. And in God's providence and timing, it's no accident we came to this uh, on a day like this in the middle of this crisis. It's all about building a resilient faith. The other way of putting it I don't know if any of you read a few years ago. It's probably a, a guy called Nasim Taleb wrote a book called Black Swan. Anyone seen Black Swan? Anyone read it? Yeah, a handful of folk. Yeah. So, and and what it was about was uh, Taleb uh, was arguing that we it's about how the world deals with um, the. Predictably unpredictable events like the black swan event everyone thought there were only white swans in the world until they came to Australia and discovered, oh there's a black swan who would have thought right uh, and so Taleb develops this idea that what we need in our culture is to become anti-fragile and he looks at how economies and systems can become anti-fragile and I thought Habakkuk is a great text to develop anti-fragile faith or resilient faith and oh my goodness don't we need that now Who would have thought, apart from anyone who's read any literature on public health over the last 20 years, you sort of knew in your head that the likelihood of an event like this was coming and we'd all watched the movies, but now it's here and you go, well, what do we do with that? Well, you trust God and you love God and you rely on a faith that is anti-fragile, that is resilient, right? And so that's uh, that's what's happening here, you see. uh, this is a time of great challenge in Israel's life. Again, if you think back to last week, you've got the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. You had this, um, the Assyrians were, had been the dominant world power for centuries. Their empire was waning, and what was happening was that the, the uh, Northern Kingdom had gone off into exile, and Habakkuk is prophesying, and, uh, and the first thing he does, and, and this book is an interesting sort of dialogue with God, uh, how Habakkuk starts is complaining, as Anne read out. Uh, he has uh, a long section of complaint. And this is what he says. Have a look on the screen. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save. Like how many of us have ever had that experience? I'm putting my how, how many of us have had that experience where you something's going on, you're in great difficulty, and you cry out to God, and you ah, God help, and He doesn't seem to. That's a challenge right there, right? Um, hang on, someone's just jumped on. I've just got to admit them. I need to change the settings. Note to self: for next time, change settings to allow everybody to just join this chat. Hang on, I might be able to do that right now. Um, uh, eh, okay. We'll just have to. I'll just jump in, and when I see them pop on, um, in this crisis, right? How many people do you think have been praying for an end to uh, this crisis? Has anyone here been praying for an end to this crisis? Okay, how many people have been praying for people to be healed from this crisis, from this virus? Yeah. How many, and those of you who have elderly and sick folk who are quite vulnerable, you know, maybe you're praying for them, maybe they're praying for themselves. Well, is God really listening at the moment? Yes, yeah, sorry. China's getting better? Yeah, so so the, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, China is getting better. So, pray in Mandarin is the answer to that. <laughs> well, he is listening, but sometimes it can feel very much like he's not. And that's what we've got to grapple with. And that's what this book grapples with. He looks at injustice. You make me look at injustice. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And of course, this, this public health crisis is unjust in the sense that the people who are already marginalized, vulnerable, and sick are the ones who are going to be most affected, right? So if you're in rude good health and you've got money and access to health care, you will probably be fine. But the injustice is if you're poor or you're in a poor country and you're in poor health, even that will be taken away from you by this virus. So that's a problem. Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. By the way... Um, the other useful thing about this book is it puts our own suffering in historic context. Human life is really uh, has been characterized for its entirety of its existence by suffering and hardship and violence and injustice. We have, we have managed to enjoy, since the Second World War and maybe since 1989, a period of unbelievable prosperity and peace. Like it's been extraordinary. We have faced no uh, existential threats or no threats to the mass population in our developed countries since '89, uh, and the well, world that we're aware of, you know, apart from asteroid strikes and accidental nuclear uh, war, which are pretty substantial. But our experience has been life is basically prosperous and good and safe, and that's a historic anomaly according to scripture and history. So, now this is an issue. So what does God say? I mean, God is awesome, right? So this is God's answer. Oh, the other point to make that I meant to make here um, is that uh, in the face of this, it's okay to complain and be honest with God. I like the way Jono started this morning. Uh, You know, he feels anxious. Well, okay, so he feels that's all right. I, uh, and, uh, I feel I, there have been many times in my life, and, and I don't feel it right now, where I felt really angry with God and disappointed with God. And you know what the Bible encourages? It encourages us to be like Habakkuk and take our issues with God up with God. We're not called to have a faith built on denial or minimization. Like a faith that just pretends everything's okay, and I'll love God as long as God makes my life great, and and so if my life isn't great, I've just got to pretend it is and keep up the facade and make it all look good, and then somehow if I just do that long enough, everything will be okay. And you go, no, the Bible's full of people being brutally, realistically honest with God. God is big enough to deal with that, right? Uh, And our faith needs to be big enough to deal with that. Uh, Resilient faith that says, anti-fragile faith that says, God, I'm angry, I'm disappointed, I'm confused. And then God comes through with these great, I don't know if you've ever seen these verses says look i mean this is a great promise isn't it verse five of chapter one i don't know if you've seen this this should be a worship song right look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for i'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told what a great promise eh? you go yes lord this is going to be amazing this is a inspirational poster kind of text isn't it This is do a meme of eagles soaring over mountaintops sort of text, isn't it? This is a memorize to to tell yourself in dark times kind of text, right? Right? You go, yes, Mark. That's what it is. Well. Sorry? I muted them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Come on, you people online, say something. (laughs) I didn't mute all of you. But that would be quite good. (laughs) 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 Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, I know, that's right. Well, you're probably wishing to be able to mute me, yeah. (laughs) I could mute everyone. Mute everyone and make up your own teaching. What is this amazing thing that God says he's going to do? Like and this text is used out of context massively because the thing God says he's going to do, this amazing thing he's going to do in answer to Habakkuk's complaint is raise up the Babylonians to come and crush his people in judgment. It says you think the Assyrians were bad? Hold on, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to be worse. <laughs> That's not great. Is it? That's, um, that's our country praying for an end to the drought. And you say, Lord, have mercy on Australia. Bring an end to the drought. And God goes, you betcha I'm going to do that. I am there for you. I'm going to do an amazing thing for Australia. I'll send a global pandemic. <laughs> Is that what he's doing? And then you go, oh my goodness, really? How on earth is that possible? that is an absolutely shocking, shocking thing for God to say. And it's an even worse thing for him to do because that is exactly what he did. What happened, what God actually did as we see this unfold in history is he raised up the Babylonians as a cruel, vicious empire who went in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and took God's people into exile in 587 B.C. They were decimated. Genocide was committed against them. The temple and everything they valued, the symbols of God's presence and love for them, everything that mattered and made them who they were was destroyed as God kept his word here. that's a little unpredictable. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, I want to suggest uh, an anti-fragile or resilient faith needs to grapple really honestly with what you do with that because that is the God with whom we have to deal, (laughs) who does unpredictable things and things that we don't understand and that are confusing and really hard. Uh, Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament theologian and writer. And uh, he hears, this is a, s- a little aside that will help you. And he talks about three stages of faith. And I find this helpful. And the first stage of faith is the stage of faith that we normally have initially when we come to faith and often when we're young. And that's what Brueggemann calls a securely oriented faith. And what that means is you come to faith maybe for the first time in Jesus, maybe the first time in God, and you go, wow, everything works. When I pray, good things happen. If I'm good, good things happen to me. The world is a fantastic place. God loves me. And it's really pretty simple. And your faith is kind of easy, right? Yeah, it's that's an awesome stage of faith if you think of it in romantic terms that's when you meet a new partner and it's just wonderful you're infatuated and all you see is the good in them and it's just nothing can get in the way of your love for each other love will triumph it's going to be amazing and extraordinary that's that first stage of any relationship in the first stage of our faith uh, brueggemann then says what what inevitably happens next is we go to the uh, painfully disoriented stage of faith, painfully disoriented, and and what happens then is something happens. The Babylonians are raised up. The Assyrians come. Someone you care for very deeply uh, gets cancer and dies, even though you and the whole church prays for them. You lose your job. You plunge into uh, an abyss of mental illness. Um, your business partner bankrupts you by stealing all your money and driving the business into the ground. You get sacked and struggle with long-term unemployment. I mean, And, and you pray and you think it shouldn't be this way and it's painful and completely disorienting. Because everything you thought about God and the world gets turned upside down. You thought if you loved God, he'd protect you. You thought if you did what was right as a Christian, he would protect you. And then you discover it doesn't seem to work that way. And it's like, you're just lost. Everything is turned upside down. You're painfully disoriented. And then Brueggemann says, and we'll see that this is the trajectory of this prophecy, this little book of Habakkuk. You'll see where it ends up. On the other side of the disorientation is a a reorientation. The mature faith, the anti-fragile, the resilient faith gets reoriented where you find a way to trust God in the midst of the upheaval and the pain and the disappointment. And you discover in the middle of all of that that God hasn't abandoned you even though he hasn't been there for you in the ways that you wanted him to be. And you discover that. Now, um, why is it that some people get stuck in the painfully disoriented stage of faith? I don't know. And, and we all know people, and maybe you've been stuck there for years yourself. We know people who just get stuck there and they go, Life doesn't work. It's too hard. It's, I can't believe in God. And you end up bitter and dismissive of God, and maybe you're disengaged because it's all too hard and painful. And, and maybe you've been tempted to do that, though. The fact you're here this morning maybe is a sign that you haven't. Um, but we for sure all know people who have found that stage. They just get stuck. But we also know on the other side of that is a mature faith, a resilient faith, a faith that says, I've found a way to be reoriented with God in, in a way that is unshakable now. So uh, that those are Brueggemann's. Stages of faith, and that that actually plots the sort of the story of uh, Habakkuk. Um, So, what what does God give any advice? Because immediately after this, I mean, this is really encouraging. So, verse one to verse up to verse eleven, he goes on and on and on to talk about how incredibly powerful the Babylonians were. So, Habakkuk goes, "Hang on, okay. So, um, I'm still not sure, (laughs) God." your own character shouldn't allow this to happen he says god aren't you the everlasting one you're the holy one you'll never die you've appointed them to execute judgment you've ordained them to punish um but but then he goes hang on how can this be why then verse 13 do you tolerate the treacherous why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves and he goes on and on through to verse 21 talking about, through to chapter 2, verse 1, sorry, talking about um, the problems he has with God. And then he finishes off, he goes, okay, hang on, I'm a prophet. I'm going to stand at my watch. I'm going to station myself at the ramparts. I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to look to see what answer God will give me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Okay, so he says, I'm here, I'm waiting, God. Tell me what I should do, right? Tell us what we should do. Now wait for it, wait for it. What does God say you should do? Then the Lord replied, wait for it. <laughs> then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on table so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So, what God says is, uh, I'm still God. I'm with you. I'm going to be with you in judgment. There's going to be an awful lot of evil. And in the end, it's all going to be okay. And in that period between now and when it's all okay, what do you have to do? Wait for it. Oh uh, God! Don't you have something better than that? <laughs> like, really? Um, how many of you really enjoy waiting? Hands up. Yeah, on this online, you can also put your hands up. You can, a little digitally, you can tell us if you're enjoying waiting. Who enjoys waiting? No one. Um, I'll tell you how bad I am waiting. Uh, Some of you may identify with this. You know when you uh, go to check in on a flight or if you're waiting to go through customs at the other end of a flight, say, and you approach the flight and there's, you know, like 15 or 20, uh, you know, customs officers all there, everyone with their little queues behind. Um, Do you know what causes me enormous stress? Is being in a slower queue... Like, I, yeah, and I've done a lot of traveling since I was very young, and I know it's stupid. And I know I'm just going to have to get through and wait for my luggage to get there anyway. But I find it so stressful that I'm waiting and waiting, and I've got to wait longer than other people. And that's just not right. So... Um, Really what as a family we should do is four of us all you know, m- mitigate risk by each of you being in a different queue and then juggling and then at the last minute all switching into the one that's going faster, right? I mean, we've seen people do that. It's um, You've done that. <laughs> and, and did it really help a lot? Not really, no, no. But why do we do that? I'll t- why would we do that sort of strategy of trying to... Sp- because we want to feel like we're in control and we can shorten the wait. Don't we? You want and I want to shorten the wait because I hate waiting because waiting makes me realize that I am not in control and you are not in control. We're at the control of some. Not that well-paid government bureaucrat sitting behind a screen screening people. And I'm not in control in that queue coming through immigration. And it's not even just then that I'm not in control of the fact that the person in front of me might be flagged on the system and then it all goes pear-shaped because it's going to take them 20 minutes in my queue to resolve that person. And you go, ah, I'm not in control. I hate waiting. And God says we're to wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. Um, It's really funny. I'll I'll tell you the other thing. Uh, I use a a browser, uh, a web browser called Brave. If you're into online security and privacy, Brave is a great browser. And one of the things it does, it has all these built-in ad blockers... And uh, anti-phishing and anti-malware stuff, all built into the browser. It's essentially a Chrome extension that they've really souped up. It's great. One of the things Brave does is it tells you how many seconds you have saved by blocking the ads and customizing your experience so your web browsing experience is that much faster. Isn't that exciting? You can tell, like, in a month, I've saved 20 seconds. I've had to wait 20 seconds less for my websites to browse. Yes, I'm a winner! 20 seconds! But at least I'm a little bit in control. And that's what we want. That's why waiting is hard. Resilient faith, anti-fragile faith, is a faith that is able to wait with God in the gap between what he's promised and what he actually brings about that's resilient faith it says uh, all kinds of stuff can be swirling and i can feel so out of control but i have the ability to wait in a culture that says we're all entitled to instant gratification where immediacy uh, reducing latency making everything happen by you know fractions of a second quicker where these things are really good it's hard to wait I mean, this current virus situation highlights that. Like, we're all waiting. Like, what do we do? Well, you wait. What can you do? Not a lot. Social distance, get tested if you need to, and then you wait. And then you go get swabbed if you get a test, and then you've got to wait again to find out. A lot of waiting. And faith says you wait. Well, how do you do that? How do you develop a faith that enables you to wait? Well, one thing, here's, here's a couple of hints, really three. The first thing to do is in the disorientation of the waiting realize that our experience of life is like a screenshot in a movie okay so you know if you're watching i don't know if you're watching a movie or or say you're you're facetiming someone or you're watching this on zoom on your phone or on your computer you can grab a screenshot of what's happening right that's what our lives are like. It's like it's a screenshot, but there's a whole bunch of history before and a history afterwards, and you can't make sense of the conversation or the movie just from the screenshot, can you? You've just got to... It's just there's a moment in time. And and when our problem is, isn't it, that we get this tiny little moment in time that is our experience, and from that... We want to be able to understand the whole story, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And, and because from our limited perspective we can't make sense of the whole, we get angry with God, and we give up on God, and we say, no, God, you're not here for me. I don't, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, why would God... I'll give you an example. We, go, we pray, Lord, have mercy on Australia, end the bushfires. Yeah, that's great. So then we get floods, and then we get global pandemic. How do you make sense of that? Well, I mean, is it possible? Is it possible that a global pandemic actually is what is best for the world and the act of a truly loving God? It is possible, surely. You know, if you argue what the philosophers call this would be the the argument the best of all possible world scenario that given the context of human free will given the way god has set up the world this is the best of all possible worlds out of which god will bring what is best for each and every one of us and will bring about his greatest glory that's the that's the assumption of scripture that god is a loving powerful god who's going to achieve that can i understand how that might happen no because my perspective is tiny. I've got a screenshot. I've got like a couple of days of a global pandemic, but it's, you know, this is like in a eight season long Netflix special. (laughs) I've just got a screenshot. But in my pride, I want to understand everything. And I just, and we can't, so you have to wait. And you have to just sit with that. It's hard and it's uncomfortable. Okay, so how do you sit with that? Well, the second point is you sit with that because we have some idea of what's happened in the previous acts in the drama, the previous... We know a bit of the history. We can read the Bible and we go, this is how God has acted in time and space up to now. And we can look at our own stories and our own lives and say there have been times when I've been disoriented and God seems to have let me down, but he has come through for me. So you can look backwards. And then the other thing you can do, obviously is you can look forwards and you can say, well, God promises on the basis of what he's done in the past, he promises that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And you look forward in hope. So how do you deal with waiting? Well, you wait in hope, don't you? How do I deal with an immigration queue at an airport? Will I have hope, based on past experience, that eventually I'll get through? So far, that's worked for me. How do I deal with the pain and the disorientation and the brokenness of a world like such that we live in where so much evil seems to happen? Will I wait in hope that God will work it out? And, and where do I end? I wait, but where do, where do we end? Well, look at old Habakkuk. Habakkuk, this story ends in a prayer. So you wait, and then the last thing you do is you worship. And you may have come across these verses. This is how the little story ends, and this is how our little story this morning is going to end. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, what is that a description of in verse seventeen? Catastrophic economic collapse, famine, mass starvation. That's what that is. That's that's a picture of that, right? Your subsistence farmers. And there has been crop failure. Uh, All your livestock have already been eaten or died. Uh, You are done for. Catastrophic. Though all of this is what happens. What does Habakkuk say? Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That is anti-fragile faith. That is resilient faith. Waiting with God in the turmoil the sovereign lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer he enables me to tread on the heights so let us not waste this disorienting painful difficult time of pandemic and in the waiting Let's not waste it, because let us learn and how to make the most of this opportunity by becoming women and men who can rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in our God and Savior even in the midst of this. Notice the yet. He's not saying... He's not saying... Um, it's not like this isn't bad. It's not based on denial. He's saying, yet in the middle of this, I will be this kind of person. I will. I will rejoice. It's like a marriage vow. I've, over the years, done many weddings, and when you say, you know, do you, you know, your wedding vow is, um, you know, will you take this person to be your awful wedded wife? Your lawful wedded wife. And the promise is not I do. What is the promise? I will ongoing continuous tense I will there's a commitment there's a stance that we take in the world that says I will do this and that's what he says I will it's not a not I do now it's I will I will from here going on forward I will so friends I will we will is it easy no Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is it disorienting? Yes. Will there be plenty of challenges? Yes. Could it get a lot worse than it currently is? Yes. Is this pandemic the worst thing that will happen to you in your life and the greatest challenge to your faith? Probably not. Probably not. There's plenty of worse stuff that can and will happen and has happened to the vast majority of people throughout human history. And the stance of faith is to end up with Habakkuk. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we uh, thank you and praise you. To that you love us, that you care for us, that um, in all things you are our God. Thank you, Lord, that um, you're with us in the season of waiting for this particular crisis to uh, pass. For those of us who are finding this very anxiety generating very unsettling strengthen us pour your holy spirit into our lives right now and guide us as a community to be be a spiritual family who support each other and lean into this crisis in such a way that it builds a resilient anti-fragile faith where we can rejoice in you and find you to be our strength and we ask all this In the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.